We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Blue Wire. Hey, this is George Kittle, and you're listening to Candlestick Chronicles. New England sending QB Jimmy Garoppolo to 49ers. We believe we found the right guy. Garoppolo, quick pass, caught by Kittle. He dives, and he's in. Touchdown, 49ers. Kittle is going to go. Touchdown. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Candlestick Chronicles. My name is Chris Biederman. I cover the 49ers for the Sacramento Bee. With me, as always, it's my guy, fresh off the Niners' victory in their home opener Sunday against the Pittsburgh Steelers. It's Kyle Madsen of Niners Wire of 95.7 The Game. Kyle, what's happening, buddy? Oh, not a lot. Uh, I enjoyed being at the game on Sunday because it was warm out, but hanging out in the press box is a good way to beat the heat. Yeah, they keep it uh, nice and chilly in that enclosed press box <laughs> high above Levi's Stadium. Uh, so the Niners are three and zero, uh, and and I think the game sort of played out like we expected in that we thought the Steelers would play a lot better uh, than perhaps their zero and two record coming into the weekend would have indicated. What what we didn't expect was that the Forty ers would turn the turn the ball over five times, uh, and otherwise mostly dominating the game particularly from a statistical standpoint. But I think really, before we get to the news, just the, the key point that, that I think you take away from Sunday's game, the 49ers turned the ball over five times, and that resulted in only six points from the Steelers. Uh, conversely, the 49ers took the ball away twice, uh, and it led to 14 points. And that was the difference in a 24-20 victory. Um, Kyle, real quick, and, and we'll get into the We'll get into the weeds of the game a little bit later after we talk about news here. But what was your your key takeaway from Sunday? 
the fact that one very telling stat is that the 49ers, despite giving the ball away five times, still outsnapped the Steelers 79 to 53. That is totally outrageous. Oh uh, no, 79-53 or 73-59. Either way, uh, that's totally outrageous. And the takeaway for me was that this defense, uh, even though they were facing Mason Rudolph, uh, is very, very real. And 79-53 was correct. But what we saw Sunday was a dominant performance from a defense facing a quarterback starting in his first game. Yeah, so we'll, we'll talk about that game in a little bit. But first, there's a little bit of news. We're recording this on Monday night. Obviously, since the last time we recorded this pod, Trent Taylor, slot receiver for the 49ers, was placed on injured reserve with his foot injury. Uh, we'll talk about that in a second. But first, Akella Witherspoon, the cornerback who was off to the fastest start or the best start of his career through the first two-plus games, is going to be out for at least a month with a foot injury, Kyle Shanahan announced today at his weekly Monday press conference. Um, So that's a pretty significant loss given the way Witherspoon was playing. He was was really a bright spot in the secondary, and I think his ascension, his, his quick ascension, has been one of the reasons the 49ers defense has taken such a drastic step forward. Uh, And the 49ers already know sort of what life is like without Witherspoon because you saw Jason Verrett step in getting his first action since week one in 2017 when he suffered his his ACL tear with the then San Diego Chargers. Um, He basically got burned on a long pass interference call to James Washington and then moments later allowed a 39-yard touchdown to rookie Deontay Johnson. Um, Not a good showing for Verrett, and obviously it underscores the value that Witherspoon has on this defense, and the 49ers, instead of treading... The 49ers, instead of sticking Verrett out there for a second series, went to Emmanuel Mosley, so Verrett had a very short leash, and uh, and so what Kyle Shanahan said today was basically that it's going to be a competition and the Niners are going to have a practice Tuesday during the bye week. Then they're going to send the guys away uh, for their mandatory time off before returning to the practice field next week. Uh, They have a little bit more time to prepare for their next game on top of the bye week because they play the Cleveland Browns. They host them on Monday night football in week five. So they're going to have some time to figure this thing out. But Kyle, how do you see this, this, Akella Witherspoon injury impacting the defense, and and what do you think about the the possibilities the 49ers have to replace him? What a difference a year makes, right? Like this time last year, I think we were kind of wondering if Akella Witherspoon was an NFL player. Like he struggled so badly early on last year, and then this year his his exit could mean I don't want to say it's going to doom the 49ers defense, but it's this huge loss all of a sudden. And like you said, that speaks to the strides he made this offseason and just how improved he is as a player. I think, though, that the 49ers can survive this. They built their defense from the front to the back. They built their defense with the idea that the pass rush was going to be good enough that their defensive backs really only needed to be okay, and they've been great so far. But if Emmanuel Mosley or Jason Verrett or whoever it is can step in and be a replacement-level corner, they can survive three or four games. Now, if this becomes some kind of long-term thing, if he has some kind of setback where they have to go into the latter portion of their schedule, which we'll talk about, that's when it gets very tough the final six weeks, and they don't have Witherspoon, then I think it's going to be a real problem. But 
I think they have the personnel up front and the depth up front to to survive a short-term injury in the back end. Yeah, maybe we should address the the elephant in the room and the idea of potentially trading for Jalen Ramsey, who uh, apparently is calling in sick from work with, with the Jaguars this week, reported Adam Schefter of ESPN who said Ramsey didn't show up to the facility because he, he's under the weather after that Thursday night game. Um, whether or not that's true remains to be seen. It sounds like the Jaguars do not want to trade him. Uh, it also sounds like the rest of the league has not been dying to give Jacksonville two first-round picks, which is reportedly their asking price. And, I mean, I, d- I just don't think the 49ers trading two first-round picks, if that's really what Jacksonville is asking for, makes a ton of sense particularly given that after 2020, you're going to have to give Ramsey a massive contract that's that's going to set the market for cornerbacks when you only have a certain amount of cap dollars that you need to save for George Kittle and DeForest Buckner on their next contracts, which you're going to have to give out at some point over the next two years anyway. So if you deal away that draft capital to get Jalen Ramsey, uh, not only does that cost you an opportunity to improve your team significantly through the draft, and maybe replace some free agents that you could lose, like Eric Armstead, who we're going to talk about in a little bit. Uh, you're you're going to be you're going to be cap cash strapped from a salary cap perspective because you're going to be paying a bunch of players at the top of their market for their respective positions. Well, so and go go ahead. I, and 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 I think one one way to do this is to say, uh, okay, two first round picks for Jalen Ramsey. And the the exercise there is go look at the 49ers first round picks and do any of the two add up to as good as Jalen Ramsey is, which, okay, you can do that exercise. But then to your point, now add DeForest Buckner to that or George Kittle. Like that's the kind of player that they're not going to be able to sign if they're trading for and then signing Jalen Ramsey long term. So you can call it two first round picks, but then you have to pick one of the 49ers stars that they don't have locked up long term and probably include them exiting in that deal as well. And your event, and that's where it becomes dicey for me. Yeah, and you're at it. I mean, it's very clear this is the tail end of Joe Staley's career, right? So if you get J- Jalen Ramsey, you're not going to be able to use a first round pick on potentially Joe Staley's replacement at some point over the next two years if you deal away two first round picks. Um, you know, obviously Ramsey would be a long term replacement for Richard Sherman. But we still don't know that Akella Witherspoon is is an established surefire starter, right? Like his career so far has been defined as, you know, being up and down peaks and valleys and, and we might be at a peak. And then when he comes back from injury, he might not be the same guy and it might be another valley and we might be talking about having to replace him too. So if without a second round pick in this upcoming draft with D Ford, that also hurts you. So, I mean, you have... You have needs at down the road that you're going to need to fill through the draft, and that's the most cost-effective way to do it when you have a franchise quarterback making uh, what Jimmy Garoppolo is making. You obviously have a franchise pass rusher in D. Ford making what he's making. Joe Staley's making a ton of money, and that's before you you even pay George Kittle and and DeForest Buckner, like we said. So I, I think you and I are both in agreement that it doesn't make a ton of sense to deal away two first round picks for the chance to play to pay Jalen Ramsey over the long haul. And if you do trade those two first round picks and you end up deciding that you don't want to pay Jalen Ramsey, then you're really renting a star player for for two seasons. 
and at the cost of two first round picks. And that's just really not a smart move in terms of the longevity of, of whatever window the 49ers are trying to create. So yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't feel like adding Jalen Ramsey makes them Super Bowl contenders this year. Like that's, that's just kind of how it feels to, to me. And if you don't feel that way, like I get it. And this isn't to say that Jalen Ramsey is a bad player or Jalen Ramsey wouldn't help the 49ers, but you have to look three, four, five years down the road, which is sort of what Kyle Shanahan said in his press conference today. This there's there's long term implications to a move like this, and maybe they can rework the cap to to fit him in, but it just doesn't seem feasible with a Buckner contract, a Kittle contract, uh, and then what Jalen Ramsey's going to want. He's going to want the uh, a deal north of what Xavier Howard got from the Dolphins, and that's just I mean. Uh, I don't think one corner is going to make or break the 49ers long-term future. Yeah, unless the asking price comes down dramatically, it just doesn't make much sense for the for the 49ers to to make that kind of trade. So maybe they make a a smaller trade, uh, you know, something that's more on the margins or they pick somebody up off off waivers or or something like that to replace Akella Withers, but I I don't want to rule out Jimmy Ward at cornerback either. Um I know that Obviously, he's switched positions seemingly every season of his career, and right now he's at free safety, even though he's missed the first three games. Um, it could be that the 49ers have liked what they've seen from Tarverius Moore to the point where, okay, we feel good about having more at free safety, and we know Jimmy Ward can transition back to corner, so maybe maybe we play Jimmy Ward there uh, if they're not confident in Jason Verrett or Emmanuel Mosley or, or even DJ Reed, so... That's the Akella Witherspoon injury. Obviously, it's going to be till at least late October. So uh, the 49ers do have do have the benefit of a not-so-tough schedule coming up. Uh, so maybe that helps, and we'll dive into the schedule later in this pod too. But uh, I want to talk about Trent Taylor's injury a little bit because um, I know we haven't seen a good version of Trent Taylor since late in 2017. Uh, but I asked Kyle Shanahan at his press conference on Friday before Sunday's game, about how how Taylor was looking during training camp and and it was clear to me and and anybody who was really watching that Taylor is Jimmy Garoppolo's most trusted target or at, at least at receiver because George Kittle is is also way up there as well obviously Taylor was having a really good camp and and Taylor as we know was really good for Jimmy Garoppolo in key moments in 2017 particularly on third down we all know how good he was in the slant routes. He caught like all 12 of his passes on slants or whatever. And a number of those came on third down. Um, And he was really good in the red zone too. Well, Kyle Shanahan said Friday that Taylor was having the best training camp of anybody on offense. And he was expecting Taylor to have a real breakout season. And coming into the year, the reason why I didn't want to judge Jimmy Garoppolo off what happened early on in the season in the September games was, well, Let's see what happens when Trent Taylor comes back. And presumably that was going to be after the bye. Well, now it's going to be uh, eight more weeks. So I think we're looking at week 11. He can come back in that second game against the Arizona Cardinals. Um, Taylor's a very important player to the 49ers offense. And and I think some of the sort of escape valve plays, um, you know, the, the underneath, the short completion type stuff, the, the guy who can get open in small spaces and, and move the chains on third and five. I mean, I think the 49ers are missing the Trent Taylor element to their offense right now. I think they, they have 
plenty of explosive receivers with Marquise Goodwin and, and Debo Samuel and Dante Pettis in particular and Kittle, obviously, but they don't really have that escape valve. And and we saw, you know, Matt Breida has made strides as a pass catcher, but I think we learned on Sunday that I think some of those strides might be exaggerated. I think consistency is still going to be an important thing for him. Obviously, Raheem Mostert's hands are suspect and and particularly with all the ball security issues he's had since being in the league, despite some of his really impressive rushing numbers. Um, I just think that the Trent Taylor element, the extension of the running game that he is as a pass catcher, just because he is so reliable and can get open when the field is condensed and, and the spaces are confined on, on third down and things like that. It's, it's a pretty significant blow to this offense and we haven't seen it yet, but we did see it in training camp. And, uh, and I'm very curious to see how the 49ers go about replacing Taylor moving forward here because the Niners are going to get Jalen Hurd back. And obviously he's a completely different player than Trent Taylor at 6'5 and um, 230 pounds, a guy who more closely resembles a tight end than a slot receiver, but somebody who could be used in the slot. I don't know if Hurd is going to be active in that Monday night game when, he, when he's first healthy. Kyle Shanahan said these next two weeks in terms of Hurd's rehab, uh, from his back injury are going to be really important and could go a long way toward determining if he plays in that Monday night game. But I do, we just don't know what it's going to look like. And so I do think the 49ers at some point could hit a snag in this passing game. If some of these, uh, if some of these other receivers don't, don't improve in, in those, in those short area situations. Um, I, I just think it's going to be hard to replace Taylor and and not having him for the majority of the season now until week 11 is going to be a pretty significant deal for them. Yeah, I think so, and I think that's that's kind of a tough thing to 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 wrap your head around. If I mean, twenty seventeen, like you said, Taylor was good. His numbers weren't super eye popping, but he was a really effective player. And then last year, he was coming off that back injury. He wasn't very good. And I know the Forty ers have they they their depth at receiver is okay. But having a guy that that is so good in in tight spaces like Taylor, somebody that Garoppolo trusts, we saw him yesterday. Him being Garoppolo, uh, really delivered some nice throws into tight windows. And if they had that option, it's just it's just another it's just another element to their offense that that feels like it could could take the offense from good to that that kind of elite level. That, that we saw the Falcons offense reach under Kyle Shanahan back in 2016. So I don't think that Trent Taylor being out an extended period of time is is going to keep them from making the playoffs. Like if they were going to make it, they, I think they can get there with or without him. I just don't think we see the peak, the real peak version of this offense until he's he's in the slot on 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 three receiver sets. Yeah, so let's talk about what happened on Sunday. And, and we mentioned sort of the, the biggest takeaway w- was the fact that the 49ers turned the ball over five times, which led to only six points for the Steelers. And obviously playing a first-time quarterback and Mason Rudolph, who's making his first career start uh, on the road uh, against a team in its home opener is a tough spot for Pittsburgh to be in. But Pittsburgh obviously had a lot of opportunities in that game and were unable to take advantage, particularly because the 49ers defense played so well. And the 49ers defense had two takeaways leading to 14 points, including probably the biggest play of the season to date, at least defensively, when Eric Armstead ripped that ball from James Conner after the 49ers had just the the stupidest one of the stupidest turnovers I've seen them have in recent seasons 
when the snap uh, to Jimmy Garoppolo came a touch late, allowing and just banging off Richie James. It was a shotgun snap. He's in motion, faking a jet sweep. Uh, usually that, that has to come brutal. that has to come a beat earlier at least, uh, allowing the play fake to work. Uh, because it cost the 49ers their third, it was their third red zone turnover uh, that the offense had. And obviously they were down by three points at that point. Um, just a really ridiculous play and, and one that we weren't expecting from them, just given how, how well they executed the previous week on the road in Cincinnati. But Armstead ripping that fumble away, I think, speaks to just how good he's been Uh in this yeah. season and and it is a contract year with him and and I think he's you know we don't really talk about it a whole lot right now because you and I have spent a lot of time talking about DeForest Buckner and George Kittle getting new contracts but obviously Eric Armstead is is in a contract year and, and this is his fifth season he's playing on his fifth year option the former first round pick in 2015 um two sacks in the first two games and he Really, you know, he had a it, it, it was a big third down sack in Tampa Bay in the red zone in the second half of that game that proved to be really important. Uh, his sack in Cincinnati came on the first defensive snap of the game, which helped set the tone for what the 49ers did in that game. And then obviously ripping the ball out and essentially saving the game, because if the Niners don't get a takeaway there, then they do have to travel the length of the field, which they still could have done. Um, and perhaps they settle for a field goal, and perhaps we're talking about that game going to overtime if they were to have a successful drive there after getting the ball back. But for Armstead to get a takeaway deep in Pittsburgh's territory with however much time was on the clock when it happened, just an enormous play. And, and I know on the drive home, uh, I, we, we carpooled just, just for the listeners. Uh, hey, hey, saving the earth. <laughs> yeah. Protect the environment. That was, carpooled. That was totally why. Um, you said it that the play reminded you of what? Why not? I'll let you tell it since it's your take. The the Justin Smith forced fumble on Jeremy Macklin in Philadelphia in 2011. I think it was week three. Was it? Was it week? I think it was week three. Yeah, it was early in the season because it was, it was after a Cincinnati game too. It was it was the second game yeah. of of their Youngstown trip uh, yeah, that and, year. And, and the Eagles, the 49ers came, came back in the second half, and the Eagles were driving, and they completed a pass to Jeremy Macklin on the left side, and Justin Smith ran him down from behind, poked the ball out, Deshaun Goldson recovers, the 49ers go on to win, and then we know the rest of the story. They go to the NFC title game that year. But that play reminded me so much of that, just in a key moment, a defensive lineman coming up behind a ball carrier, punching the ball out, um, and, and, and just real – I mean – if you're into symbolism like that, that just kind of had the same sort of feel. And if the 49ers do make a playoff run this year, I think we're going to point to that to that tackle by Eric Armstead on James Conner as kind of the catalyst for it. Something else I wanted to get to real quick is we talked a little bit about Akello Witherspoon earlier. How strange is it, like I said, what a difference a year makes, that Akello Witherspoon getting injured and Eric Armstead made the biggest play of the game. Like that's something that I – wouldn't have been fathomable at this time last year. It's really, and it just, it really speaks to the turnaround. Yeah. It's really funny how the NFL can just teams and players and things can switch uh, so quickly and so dramatically in one season's time. And and like, 
it's all about situations, right? It's it's all about the infrastructure you have in place. It's all about supporting cast. It's all about scheme. All of these things can can lead to dramatic turnarounds. And so Akella Witherspoon coming back and and being in the same system for his third season, having a renewed mindset, understanding that what happened his second season wasn't acceptable and, and he needed to approach this year with, with a new level of intensity if he was going to be the player that a lot of people hyped him up to be going into year two after that promising start to his rookie year. There's never been a question with Eric Armstead's talent, right? Like he's always been a really talented player and even in a limited role all the way back as a rookie, he looked really good as sort of this rotational player who you thought would take this next step. Well, then he ended up getting hurt dealing with uh, shoulder and hand injuries over the next few seasons and just never consistently ha- never had the the opportunity to to become a consistent contributor. And obviously there are a myriad of factors going into that. But now that you have the secondary playing well, which is obviously related to the defensive line playing well, and you have Witherspoon and Armstead playing at the highest levels of their careers it just speaks to how quickly things can change and and it's just funny because like writing about well if the 49ers are going to make a playoff run this has to happen blah 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 like writing about you know along those lines along those parameters in the offseason and just getting emails from people like the Niners are you're never gonna go to you're like you're just totally drinking the Kool-Aid you're never gonna they're never going to contend for a playoff spot. This team's going to go four and twelve again. Blah blah blah. It's like, man, like I saw the four and twelve Rams go from the 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 seller of the NFC West to yeah. a perennial contender, and all it took was a new head coach and who had who inherited a, a quarterback who was historically one of the worst rookies in in recent memory. Yeah, and and took him to the Super Bowl. So these things can change dramatically, which is. Which is I, which is why I think like the NFL is so interesting, and and I understand why it's so easy to be pessimistic about the 49ers because we're coming off four straight seasons of double digit loss seasons. So, like that makes sense. It's just interesting to see we've we've seen it happen with other teams, and now it seems that it's happening with the 49ers to where you you get some good luck in terms of 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 health, you keep your key guys, you you keep continuity within the coaching staff and the systems. And if you draft well and, and develop well and make some key additions, whether it's via trade or free agency, uh, you could you could turn things around pretty quickly in the NFL. And I think that's one of the, the league's most endearing qualities. So they did they did a couple things this offseason. They added two bona fide stars on on the edges. And it's paid dividends early. D Ford, who was sensational last year, he's been limited by an injury this year, but he's been really good when he has played. And Nick Bosa looks like a perennial Pro Bowler, All Pro caliber talent already. He's been he's been superb. Seven pressures on Sunday, and it seemed like all of them came on third down. Yeah, I, I mean he's constantly just hanging out with Mason Rudolph. So they did that. They get Jimmy Garoppolo back healthy, and they get an improved version of Akello Witherspoon. They add Quan Alexander uh, in the linebacking core, and he's been really good. Debo Samuel looks like the best receiver on the team already. If the 49ers, let's say Garoppolo was healthy all last year. Everything stays the same. Garoppolo plays, though. They go, what, probably 7-9, and 6-10? and 10? Yeah, they're, they're a few wins better, but they're probably not dramatically better because that defense was still bad. Right, but so let's say, let's say they go 7 and, let's say they go seven and 9. A playoff berth after a 7-9 and nine season doesn't sound so 
so far-fetched. And had they gone seven and nine last year, they make the additions they made. People would have penciled them in for a playoff for the playoffs before the season. Yeah, but they also wouldn't but have gotten four and twelve. They also because, wouldn't have gotten Nick Bosa. Okay, that's fair. But but my point is, shut up, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> but no, no, but my point is, had they gone seven and nine last year and made a couple of key additions on the edge and gotten an improved Akella Witherspoon. Uh, There'd be people would have no problem saying that this is a playoff team. Yeah, they could have got Brian. They, they didn't go. They could have got Brian yeah. Burns or maybe even Josh Allen or, or something like that. Someone who's yeah. still good on the edge, but maybe not Nick Bosa. Right, and so that's that's ultimately my my point is is if Garoppolo was healthy last year, they're better than they are, and are better than they were. And now a playoff berth this year doesn't seem so insane. But the reason it seems insane is because they went four and twelve last year. So the Niners, yeah, that's no, it's my a good point. point. And and the Niners. Yes. Was it? The Niners <laughs> on Sunday allowed 239 yards. Um, they, allowed, they allowed three of 12 third down conversions. The Steelers had 11 first downs. Uh, the Niners allowed 4.7 yards per play. The Steelers only had 79 rushing yards. I mean, you can go through where the Niners are at statistically. Um, the Niners have the fourth ranked defense or sorry the fourth ranked offense in terms of total yardage in the nfl and obviously this is through a a small prism of a three-game sample size they have the second ranked defense in terms of yardage in the nfl they're fifth in scoring offensively and ninth in scoring defensively Uh, and obviously the the pick sixes the two that the team had in tampa bay and the one that jimmy garoppolo threw in tampa bay factor into those numbers um which is you know, it is what it is. But the point being, the Niners are top five in both offense and defense, just from a yardage standpoint, and top 10 in, in scoring uh, on both sides of the ball. So I don't want to overreact because they've played Jameis Winston and Andy Dalton and Mason Rudolph in their first three games. So you don't you don't want to read too much into that until you see them play a few of the, of the better offenses in the league. But on the other side of that, like this is, this is how good teams should be playing against opponents like that. Like if you're a good team, yes, this is, this is where you should be in a small three game sample. So I'm very curious to see how they come out of the bye week. I'm, I'm curious to see if Cleveland starts to figure things out or if they're still going to look like a mess like they did Sunday night. Um, and then you get, you know, you get a tough road game against the Rams, and, and we can talk about that. Uh, let, let's talk about that in, in a little bit. I, I want to talk about Jimmy Garoppolo um, because I think you made the point, and, and I agree with it, that that was probably up there with one of the most impressive starts of, of Garoppolo's 49ers tenure um, just because of, of what challenges he faced. I know he it wasn't a particularly accurate throw to Matt Breida, um, it could have been more. It could have been more accurate, obviously. But Brita batted in the air. The the throw to Dante Pettis. Kyle Shanahan blamed Pettis's split, which which is essentially where Pettis aligned uh, before the snap. Garoppolo felt pressure on that play. Got rid of it. Uh, threw it to where he thought Pettis would be. It was a little bit further inside than than where Pettis was. It it hit off his hands and right to make a Fitzpatrick. I do think Joe Hayden made a good play on the ball. I didn't see if he got a hand on it or not, but he did do something to to affect Pettis' ability to, to make the catch. Yeah. Um, 
Garoppolo's stat line, all things considered, the the five turnovers, two of which were he was charged with interceptions, but completing 23 of 32, that's 72%, 277 yards, 8.7 yards per attempt, which is where you want to be. Um, obviously, he had the touchdown to Dante Pettis late in the game. Just a lot of throws in the face of pressure, really accurate. Pro Football Focus's David Newman uh, tweeted out today, Garoppolo's passing grade through the first three weeks is second behind only Tom Brady. Uh, second highest percentage of positively graded throws, fourth lowest percentage of ne- negatively graded throws, and he's the third most accurate based on ball location in the league. So, look, we know Jimmy Garoppolo has a penchant for making bad decisions and, and throwing into traffic and, and you know, his his interceptions both in, in Tampa and Cincinnati were pretty egregious. I don't think we can place the blame on him entirely for these two that happened over the weekend. But we are we are at a point where Jimmy Garoppolo is, is looking much more like the 2017 version of himself, at least the last two weeks in particular, than he did in that yeah. second preseason game when when he was really awful in two series with the with the against the Denver Broncos. I had an interesting conversation on on Twitter today where I had mentioned that Garoppolo, I thought Garoppolo had his best game as a 49er, and somebody said that's ridiculous. He threw two interceptions and he had a fumble. Uh, that wasn't close to his best game. <clears throat> and then that person later said that they didn't watch. They only listened on the radio. <laughs> and I know, but yeah, it, it, I think it was, I, I think it was one of those games where I, I'm, I'm very big into stats. I very much buy into analytics and all that, but the the eye test is very much applicable to that game because Garoppolo got walloped multiple times and his two interceptions you mentioned weren't the the one to Pettis might have been on him but the one to Brita was not and there were so many opportunities where where he and the 49ers offense could have just kind of caved but the resilience for him to to continue getting back up to continue standing in against tough pressure um, and and to deliver the throw to trust Dante Pettis there with a minute 15 left and and deliver a strike into a small window for the game winning touchdown. I mean, it was it was everything you want from from a leader from your franchise quarterback. And is he ever going to put up Patrick Mahomes' numbers? Probably not. Is he going to be uh, is his peak Matt Ryan's 2016 MVP season? Pr- probably not. But if the 49ers are down a score with two minutes left and they've got the ball in the, on their own 20, I think you feel pretty good about it with, with Garoppolo under center. And that's a, that's a good place to be. I think like teams have to respect his ability to throw the ball, but the 49ers don't need to lean on him. And if, if he can limit those mistakes that you talked about, it's, it's hard to find a lot of flaws uh, in his game as a quarterback. And, and I think that really showed against Pittsburgh. One final point. I want to make on this and in, in that I, I do think Kyle Shanahan is doing a good job in terms of the the scheming and, and the play calling and the play design. The 49ers are leading the NFL right now in rushing attempts per game. They're running the ball 38 times each game and they're, they're averaging 175 yards on the ground each week. And obviously we always talk about play action and how important that is. But, um, and I know there are people out there who say running the ball effectively doesn't factor into play action. Well, I, I promise you that NFL players feel 
feel the opposite <laughs> that you talk to yeah. you talk to it matters it matters at least a little <laughs> you talk to defensive players in the NFL and they will tell you that play action becomes a lot more difficult to defend when the offense you're going against runs the ball effectively despite whatever um you know certain metrics or whatever say um yeah the Niners are doing a really good job I think Kyle Shannon in particular obviously not putting everything on on Garoppolo's shoulders and so being able to establish a, a sound running game and being able to put yourself in favorable positions constantly by being so good on first and second down like the 49ers have been through these through these first three games um, I think it really helps and and it allows you to maximize what you get from Garoppolo rather than saying, hey, we're, we're going to throw it 50 times a game and, and we're going to subject you to all these hits and, and everything like that. I think the Niners have a good balance going right now, and I think that'll be something to, to keep a tr- keep an eye on uh, as the season goes forward. But let's take a break real quick to tell you guys about our sponsors. Of course, it's Harry's. A few of us on this show use Harry's razors. I think both of us do, actually. We both, we absolutely do. I love Harry's. If you visit their website, you can check out all different shave sets and face care products. Join the 10 million who have tried Harry's, including Kyle and I. Claim your special offer by going to harrys.com slash bluewire. Why try Harry's? Harry's founders were two regular guys, just like us. Tired of getting ripped off and paying for overpriced razors. Harry's makes quality, durable blades at a fair price, just $2 per blade. If you don't love your shave, let them know and they'll give you a full refund. This summer, refresh your wallet and your face with a Harry's trial set. It comes with a weighted ergonomic handle for an easy grip, five-blade razor with a lubricating strip and trimmer blade for a close shave, rich, lathering shave gel that will leave you smelling great, and and a travel blade cover to keep your razor dry and easy on the go. Listeners of our show can redeem their trial set at harrys.com slash bluewire. Make sure you go to harrys.com slash bluewire to redeem your offer and let them know I sent you to help support the show. Also me. Kyle sent you too. We both sent you. We both did. At the end of a hard week, it's great to sit down, take some time off, and watch some football. Game-winning touchdowns and two-minute drives like Dante Pettis' score. Uh, Running backs racing down the sidelines with no one to stop them. There's nothing else like it in the like the NFL, and there's no better way to make the games even more exciting than to bet on them. So do the smart thing, and go to mybookie.ag. No one gives you more ways to win than they do. MyBookie's got the fastest payout and better lines than any other sportsbook. Don't forget, where you're betting is just as important as who you're betting on, and mybookie.ag is the best in the business. That's where I play, that's where Kyle plays, and where you should play too. I wouldn't be telling you guys to bet with them if they weren't the best. Do the smart thing. If you're going to bet this football season, bet with my bookie. If you're the kind of guy that likes to bet a little and win a lot, try a parlay. If all your picks come through, you'll multiply your winnings. And no matter how you bet, the NFL season is the best time of year. So go to mybookie.ag and bet with them today. If you like to bet a little and win a lot, don't bet on Marcus Mariota. We learned that last week. Boy, did we. Welcome back. <laughs> Okay, so let's finish off this pod with just sort of a, a very broad topic in the question, how good are the 49ers? And we both have mentioned that they haven't played a we, – we, I mean, they probably haven't played a playoff team yet, to be frank, um, barring something wildly unforeseen. So the 49ers are beating up on bad teams, uh, but 
they are in a pretty good spot. And we'll see how they handle the injuries to Joe Staley and Akella Witherspoon and Trent Taylor, who, I mean, those are all pretty significant players to to not have for, for the foreseeable future going forward here. But you look at just the schedule and the way the things are shaking out for the 49ers. So they're, they're one of seven undefeated teams right now. Uh, one of four undefeated teams in the NFC. Their next seven games, uh, five of their opponents are below 500. Uh, they have the Browns Monday night. Then they go play the Rams. They go play Washington, who does not look good at all. Uh, they host the Panthers. They go travel to play the Cardinals and Kyler Murray on Thursday night, Halloween. Uh, return home to play the Seahawks on a Monday night game. So they have a little mini buy between that Thursday game and Monday night game, which could really help them out. Um, then the Cardinals again at home, and then they host the Packers who are undefeated. So there are two undefeated teams remaining, and then the Seahawks are the only other team above 500. So you have a lot of games, a lot of winnable games, to the point where if they get to that Packers game in Week 11 at, say, they're 7-3, and three, Sorry, that Packers game is week 12. Say they're seven and three at that point. They would need to go three and three over their final six games to get to 10 and six, which seems like the demarcation point for playoff contention. Which, I mean, you think about it, the way the 49ers have played and the way some of these other teams have looked on their schedule. If you, I, I think they could, they could easily be seven and three by the time week 12 comes and and that would just be a really strong development for them. And how do you think the 49ers stack up to the rest of the NFC and, and maybe the playoff picture? That's man. It, it really looked like they were on the outside looking into a playoff spot when you considered going in that Seattle was probably going to be in the mix. You had uh, in the NFC East, you had the Cowboys and the Eagles look like they were both going to be really good, but the Seahawks have not looked great. They're they're no, I've, I haven't been impressed with the Seahawks. No, at all. their loss at home to New Orleans was not nearly as close as the score indicated. Seattle needed twenty fourth quarter points to make that one look close there at the end. Um, the Saints are without Drew Brees. Um, Cam Newton's hurt. Um, the Bucks ha- the Bucks haven't have looked banged up, and they just lost to Detroit. Yeah, right. That's right. Uh, the Bears haven't looked magnificent through the first couple of weeks. So all of a sudden, all these teams that looked like they were they were surefire in the playoff hunt are banged up and just not looking good. Well, the 49ers are 3-0, and and I don't think that that it's just when, when, when people say they haven't played anybody yet, I'm not exactly sure what a good team is necessarily going to expose. Like they have a good running game and their offense is well designed and their defense hauls ass and gets after the quarterback. Like that's, I mean, maybe we'll see once they play a good team, but it's hard to, it's hard to believe they're going to go in against the Rams and the Rams are going to beat them 50 to nothing. I think at this point you, if you're playing the 49ers, you load up against the run and you force Jimmy Garoppolo and his young and experienced receivers to beat you, right? Like you stop the run you do all you can to make sure George Kittle doesn't get a ton of targets. Um, and then you just you you get physical with Marquise Goodwin and, and you say Debo Samuel 
if you're going to break out, do it against us because we would love to see Jimmy Garoppolo try force feeding you a bunch of passes because that's going to give us the best opportunity to sure. take the ball away. Right. So, but loading up to stop the run and at the same time stopping George Kittle, like, that's difficult. so much easier said than done. Absolutely. I'm just saying if, if I were an opposing team, that, that would be right. the avenue that, that I try going down. Sure. Um, so, look, I, I don't think, like, I don't, the, the Niners still have to, to beat a good team. Like, there, there's no doubt about that. And, and coming into the year, I thought they were an 8-8 eight and eight club because I simply didn't know what to make of them. And it was basically impossible for me to feel confident that they would get, um, you know, 16 games from all of their important players, right? Like, Nick Bosa obviously had injury concerns. D Ford has injury concerns and, and had injury concerns in his past, particularly relating to having a couple back surgeries. Um, you had an aging Richard Sherman. You had Jarek McKinnon, who's obviously not playing this year. You had Quan Alexander, who tore his ACL last October. Jason Verrett, um, Jimmy Ward. I, the, the list goes on. And, and so far, the Niners have gotten relatively good health, with the exception of the guys that we've talked about who are already down. But I think that was the key, was that they get these guys healthy, then they could compete with anybody on any any given game because – of what Kyle Shan- Shanahan can do offensively, particularly now that so many of these players have been with him for three years, right? Like that's really the important thing is that the 49ers are running an offense that they all know extremely well now, and they can run different variations of certain plays and formations and personnel groupings that they probably couldn't when Shanahan first got hired in 2017. So yeah, I do think the 49ers have to consider themselves a contender for a playoff spot and maybe even the division. Like I don't want to, I haven't seen anything from the Rams to say that, okay, the Rams are, are clearly the, the favorites in the NFC West, just based on what they've done this year. And obviously they're a far more accomplished team in terms of what they've done the past two years and the infrastructure that's in place and the roster that is significantly more talented than the 49ers right now, still particularly offensively. Um, and Seattle, I just, you know, I, I do, I, I have been underwhelmed in terms of the way they've played these first three weeks and, and obviously allowing a special teams touchdown and a defensive touchdown is, is sort of fluky in that game that they lost to the saints. That's not going to happen every week, obviously. So I don't want to read too much into that as an indication of who they are, but they obviously didn't play very well against Cincinnati and that week one performance is looking worse and worse as the Bengals keep stacking up pretty bad losses. Yeah. Um, and I didn't think they played particularly well against the Steelers, and the Steelers obviously didn't play well in that game week too. So I still want to see what happens with Seattle because they are always the team that looks shaky, even in their best seasons under Pete Carroll when they still had the Legion, and boom, Legion of Boom and they were still contending for championships. They were a team that got off to slow starts, and then once November hit, they were one of the best teams in the league consistently because they treated September and October more or less in, as extensions of training camp and preseason. So I don't want to react to what Seattle's doing or not doing early on, but I do know their roster looks dramatically different. Uh, The defense hasn't been nearly as reliable as we would expect it to be. And overall, the weapons surrounding Russell Wilson haven't been all that impressive. So you just look at what the 49ers have been able to do, albeit against competition that isn't particularly strong through three games. 
I do think the Niners are in a good spot. And if they could split with the Rams and maybe split with the Seahawks and win both of their games against the Cardinals, and given the way the rest of their schedule shakes up, shakes out, I should say, I, it wouldn't be crazy to say the Niners at, you know, 10 and 6, 11 and 5 could could win this division. It, it really wouldn't be crazy because the Rams just don't look quite like the same team. And maybe we'll talk, we'll be talking about them. Like I just did the Seahawks in terms of being a team that gets better as the season goes on. And maybe the 49ers come back to earth a little bit, which is entirely possible. Right. And I I think that's such an important factor in this discussion is the way NFL preseason is now and the way practices are limited. Good teams don't typically hit their stride until like mid to late October in those final, like, eight to 10 weeks of the season. So like you said, maybe we start talking about the Rams as Super Bowl contenders by mid-November or the Seahawks is, are the team that nobody wants to see in the playoffs. But at, from what we know right now, nothing that you said is is extraordinary. And you're just calling my takes average? Which I think is if... if just had average takes. Yeah. Yeah, you just have... <laughs> no, you have lukewarm-ass basic takes. <laughs> um just just yeah obviously chris that's <laughs> no but it, it, nothing nothing you said there was was i think uh um overly optimistic or anything like that just based on what we know right now and i i think just uh, a given is that we both reserve the right to to withhold final judgment until you know we see a whole season play out but if you're a 49er fan right now and you want to pump the brakes on thinking that this is a playoff team, like that's fine. But based on what we've seen from the division and the rest of the NFC, like the Niners are right there in the conversation and it's not crazy to put them there. Okay. So let's say, I mean, they're going to be favored against Cleveland. Yes. Uh, when they come back from the bye. So say they're four and they, I'm going to guess they're favored by, I think they just get the three points depending on how Cleveland looks. Oh, in. They'll get more than Week four, maybe maybe four or four and a half. I think it'll be probably closer to six, but we'll see. Um, mm. So okay. they'll be favored against the Browns. They won't be favored against the Rams. They'll probably be favored on the road against Washington. They'll be favored at home against Carolina. They'll be favored on the road against the Cardinals. Uh, I mean, if if they win those games that they're supposed to at, at that point, we're talking about four, five, six, six and one. Uh, seven and one potentially going into that Monday night game against the Seahawks. And this is just my guessing the the spreads for right now. So I'm assuming if they're seven and one at that point, after being favored in those games, they'll probably be favored against the Seahawks. They'll be favored at home against the Cardinals. And then that November 24th game against the Packers is going to be a really, really massive one potentially, and could be one that, that ends up getting flex. Um, to Sunday night football, which would be kind of fun. Uh, and then you have those final six games at Baltimore, at New Orleans. Between those games, the 49ers are probably going to practice somewhere uh, on the East Coast, maybe in the South. Uh, home to Atlanta, who hasn't looked particularly good. Home against the Rams and then finishing up at the Seahawks. So, yeah, if if by this Packers game they are uh, eight and 8-2 or 7-3, and three, they're going to be in a fantastic spot. And I just think what we've seen through the first three weeks from these other teams, that, that that's that's not 
it's not crazy to think the 49ers could get there. Now, obviously, that's putting the cart before the horse because this is a team that just turned the ball over five times and almost lost to a first-time quarterback at home, first-time starting quarterback yeah. at home. Um, but I do expect them to be more sharp, and and they're gonna they're gonna be amplified. <laughs> they're gonna be amped up. The Liddy Committee is gonna be in full force, Kyle, <laughs> on uh, on Monday, October seventh, after the bye week, because the 49ers are like, I mean, they're they're gonna want to sh- showcase for the country that. The, the the record is real, and although the Browns haven't been as good, uh, maybe as a lot of people thought they would be entering this season, that is that is an opportunity for the team to make a statement. Yeah. And then after that, they have a short week playing on the road against the Rams, so they'll want to make a statement before that game. And uh, and so after the bye, it's it's going to be two pretty massive games for the 49ers in terms of setting the tone for the rest of the season. Yeah, yeah, I think so. And getting to come out on Monday night, like it's it's hard to imagine, like you said, that they won't be that they won't be super fired up for that game. The danger though is that you get too fired up and you start making mistakes like like we saw against Pittsburgh. And if they if they do that against any team that's worth its salt, they're gonna get blown out. Well, yeah, unless the unless the defense plays. That's my take. If they turn the ball over five times every game, I don't think no, they're going to be very good. No, they won't be very good. good. They'll lose more games than they win. <laughs> but I, I don't think the 49ers are going to turn the ball over five times again this season. Maybe they do. Maybe I'll look stupid, but I, I just don't see it. No, I, 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 I think you're right. And, and, and what it comes down to is if they keep going at five, four and a half, five yards a clip in the run game, and D4 to Nick Bosa are healthy, along with DeForest Buckner and Eric Armstead playing at the level he's playing at, they're going to win a lot of games based on based on rushing the quarterback and running the football because those, no matter how much football changes, those two things are foundational for good teams. Good take. With that, we're going to wrap this up. Uh, thank you guys for listening. I uh, hope you guys are enjoying the season so far and, and all of the content we, we are trying to provide. Uh, unclear what we're going to do uh, during the bye week. Obviously, the 49ers, they're going to practice on Tuesday and then have the rest of the week off. So we will try to find maybe maybe an interesting way to, to shake things up for an episode later this week. Uh, and then we'll be back on our normal schedule next week, previewing the, the Monday night game against the Browns and Baker Mayfield and Odell Beckham Jr. And uh, we will talk to you guys then. Enjoy the bye week. Enjoy potentially a long weekend away from football if you only watch the 49ers and not the rest of the NFL. Um, and we'll talk to you guys next week. Which- Don't do that. Watch the rest of the NFL. Educate yourselves. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? 
Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.